when I went to do Broadway, I just wanted to be Annie Oakley. And then I was doing interviews. One person said, aren't you petrified to be doing a Broadway play since you've never even done a play before? And I went, crap, never even thought about that. (laughs) Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Well, hey, this is Reba McIntyre. Welcome to my podcast, Living and Learning, along with my co-host and longtime buddy, Melissa Peterman. How you doing, girl? Good. How are you doing, Miss McIntyre? doing great. Fantastic. Well, you look fantastic. Well, you too. Thank you so much. Thank you. I like that we start out complimenting each other right off the bat. I think we always should, yes. Yes. Coming up on the show today, we're going to be joined by author and advice columnist Heather Haverleski and one of my favorite people in Nashville, singer Darius Rucker. Our topic today, ladies and gentlemen, is reinventing yourself. How do you do that? Why? When do you do that? First of all, what do you mean by reinvention? Do you mean just starting a new career or is it completely changing your life? Is it the next chapter of your life? It could be a look. A new look. It could be a look. Yeah. Reinventing yourself. Bangs, no bangs, short haircut. I always was reinventing myself because my attention span, mom always said, was like a two-year-old. And so I needed to be doing different things. I think that's why we had the shows that were very theatrical, the concerts that I would change clothes 15 times, had my dancers. It not only kept the audience entertained, but I felt it kept everybody up on stage entertained. You are the queen of reinvention. Well, you can't do the same thing over and over and over. The fans are going to be like, well, yeah, that was good. That was good. What if you did something else? And so I think it's really important to keep the fans guessing what I'm going to do next. That's where I've been very blessed. All my fans, whatever I do, write a book, do Broadway TV, go do concerts, whatever I'm doing, they're like, ah, that's fun. Let's go. Let's take the journey with Reba. And I'm so thankful and appreciative. It's just a lot of fun for me to try new things. Especially like when we started doing videos in the 80s. Oh my gosh, you can do this. Well, a video was always working in my mind when I was singing a song, but now I could put it on film and it was a lot of fun. So that's what got me into acting. And that was another way of reinventing myself and then doing Broadway and then going to television, doing the Reba TV show with you. So it was finding something different to keep me interested in never being bored. So of all the things you've done, you've done them all. What was the scariest for you? You know, ignorance is bliss. When I went to do Broadway, I just wanted to be Annie Oakley. And then when I was doing interviews about the show, one person said, aren't you petrified to be doing a Broadway play since you've never even done a play before? And I went, crap never even thought about that. 
So I was just going in head first, 900 mile an hour, and didn't even think about it until they put that into my mind. But still, I didn't care about it. I just wanted to be Annie Oakley. And when I went to do the Reba show with you guys, I was like, wow, I have no control over this whatsoever, like we do on the concerts. It wasn't scary. It was just like, have I done the right thing? But boy, after we got on that sound stage and had so much fun, I knew, yeah, this is the family I want to be with right here. So I've never been really scared about making a change. Never have. Have you had any scary things that you've done before, trying something, stepping out of the comfort zone? Yeah. I mean, I think I'm mildly terrified like 80% of the time. Mm -hmm. I'll mm -hmm. tell you what would scare me the most. It was after the Reba show. And I remember you gave me a call and you guys said, would you like to go uh, on tour with me and open and do stand up? And I said, absolutely. And then you hang up, same thing. Go, oh my gosh. One of them I said yes to, I've got to have like 30 minutes or whatever, a solid set. And that was so scary to me. I mean, I'm so grateful that you guys gave me that opportunity because I've always been writing. I've always done improv. I love comedy. I wanted to do that. But that one terrified me, <laughs> terrified me. It was also the most rewarding, you know, because you are you, there's arenas. So I got to do stand up in front of an arena. Like that was amazing. Well, what did you learn about yourself in that process? I learned to trust my instincts, to not overthink things, yeah. to be brave and to be present. Good. But I always think things that scare you are the things you should say yes to. Oh, yeah. for, at least for me, that's how I roll is that if I'm a little bit scared, it's probably a good idea. Good. And I believe in saying things out loud. Yeah, get it out in the universe. Absolutely. Never know who's going to be listening. You don't. You know, you've reinvented and done everything. Is there more left? Like what's left to do? Like, what have you not done that you think, I still want to do that? There's still something that this world hasn't seen Reba McIntyre do. What would that be? Well, doing this podcast is reinventing for sure. I mean, it's a different arena, different way of reaching the folks that love to listen to us, whether we're singing, talking, acting, whatever. So it's really interesting to to hear the feedback and that everybody's enjoying our conversations and our guests. And I'm having a blast with it. I know you are because anytime you and I are together, we're having fun. Other than the podcast, I'm still waiting on what's my next adventure. I'm still waiting on my marching orders. You're just waiting for God to tell you what's next? Yeah, he always has. He always has. Resting right now and ready, geared up, charging batteries and uh, be prepared whenever everything is ready to go back full force. I'll be ready. You know what you haven't done, though? I think you haven't opened a restaurant. Would you ever do that? Well, I haven't opened a restaurant. I've had a restaurant before a long time ago at my Opryland. But as much as I love food and going out to eat, you'd think that'd be right down my alley. How about you? Well, in my career, I think there's still other sides and chapters that I haven't done yet that I want to do a single camera dramedy or drama. I'd love to do theater again, like different avenues of acting, I think I'm not done with. But this podcast too, like this is really new for me too, and very different. And I like this medium because this medium allows us to a meet some amazing and super cool guests for us to learn stuff and hopefully be engaging and interesting to, to people out there. I think podcasts are the, the best thing ever. And I don't have to wear makeup. Like no one can tell. <laughs> That's the best part. But let me ask you another question. Okay. How many acts has your life had? If we were saying it's a movie, a play, a, 
uh, TV show. How many acts, A-C-T-S, has your life had? Okay, so act one, the early years. Me too. Act two, college, figuring it out. Act three, the L.A. years and TV. Act four, I mean, motherhood. I think I'm in, oh my gosh, how many, most plays don't have five acts, do they? (laughs) No. Isn't there like act one? Act two, intermission, act three. Oh my gosh, what if I'm in intermission? Maybe we're all in <laughs> oh. intermission right now. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that. I think I'm in intermission. My life is in intermission right now. Wow. That's kind of what this is. Everybody's been running way too fast. Things are getting a little crazy. What if this is our intermission and we're regrouping? We're staying with families. We're having dinner at home at night instead of going 16 different directions after the kids get out of school. So it's horrible for the people who have been sick, who have passed. But for the ones of us who needed a break to regroup and to just take a breath and be still, it's been wonderful. Do you think that people can like completely reinvent themselves? Like, could you be an astronaut and then you're a pop star? Like, what if you one day just woke up and said, you know what, guys, I've loved country music. I've loved all this stuff, but I'm going to go jazz. Like, do you think, you know, is it easy to do? Is it easy to completely switch over and change your career or your identity? Wow, that's a wonderful question to ask our guest today. Heather Haberaleski and Darius Rucker. Y'all stay tuned. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Please welcome to the show, Heather Haverleski. Oh, yes. Thank you very much for joining us today on the podcast. Our podcast is called Living and Learning, and we're learning a lot by doing this podcast, Melissa and I are. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. And today we're talking about reinventing yourself. I think it's a really good topic for COVID. Right. That we're in this space of sort of like our lives have been reinvented, whether we want them to be or not. And we're all sort of forced into this strange place of change that sometimes feels completely stagnant and other times feels like it's full of possibility. Like, I, I, you know, now I finally have the time to really look inward and reflect on uh, where I am in my life. And I think something that I've noticed among my friends, and I do think that this is something that maybe happens at different times in your life. It happens in your late 20s, probably. It happens around your late 30s. And then also, I just turned 50, so I'm kind of in a midlife crisis, crazy state myself. But I think there are different times in your life when you basically look around and you think, I want to try something new. I need a new perspective. Something is missing and I need a new path. Right. Tell people a little bit about your career because you're an amazing writer. You're behind Ask Polly, right? Yeah. New York Magazine's advice column, Ask Polly. I've been writing that for, I think, six years. 
Six years. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Fun. And you wrote Disaster Preparedness, a memoir, which I love that title so much. The advice book was How to Be a Person in the World and What If This Were Enough. So you've written how many books? Three? Three books. And I just finished a book about my marriage, actually. The title is up in the air. It's in the edit phase right now. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Well, Heather, why don't you break down for us your top five tips for a total life reinvention? It's so easy to reinvent, <laughs> to reinvent yourself. <laughs> Just kidding. It's not that easy. The first tip I'd say is look around and ask yourself, what do I feel like I'm missing? And sometimes it sounds a little bit negative to say, what am I missing? But it can be something really simple. You might at first say, oh, well, what I'm missing is I want to fall in love again, like something kind of, or I'd like to be much more rich than I am now and much more beautiful while I'm at it. Usually if you look beneath these kinds of like surface level, you know, most obvious answers, what you'll find is something deeper, which is sort of like, what I want is more romance in my life, for example. Like, it's not that I want to fall in love again. I just want to have a more romantic sense about how I'm living. And for me, what I really was missing was music. I used to write music when I was younger, and I am starting to write music again because I realized this was something that I loved so much. I was almost embarrassed to be associated with it. Like sometimes when you care a lot about something, you're also ashamed of it because it kicks up all these emotions inside of you that you don't want other people to see. We think that we want the world to know us, but there may be a part of yourself that you really love and miss that you don't want the world to see because it's too precious to you. And if they know that you care about something so much, it becomes real and then somebody can tear it down or make you feel that you shouldn't like it that much. I totally get the idea of not sharing sometimes the biggest dreams that you have because you're afraid to say them out loud. But if you don't say them out loud, how can they ever happen? If you can't say it, someone else isn't going to come and tell you that either. That's exactly right. And it's also, sometimes it can be things that you're just embarrassed about because they seem silly. Like I actually care how I look and I want to lose some weight or I want to get in shape or I want to change my hair color, any number of things. So it's sort of, you have to dig deep and make sure that you're honoring your truest desires, basically. Okay. So what if you don't know your desire? How do you know something's missing? You just have a feeling? Well, that's a good question, Reba. And I think that that leads us to my second tip, which is you got to start really small. Sometimes in order to understand what your truest desires are, you have to give yourself more space to sort of experiment and understand yourself. And, you know, a lot of us live lives that are just extremely punitive. We don't realize how kind of strict we are with ourselves, but we are basically driving ourselves too hard all the time by keeping all of our time very regimented, Listen to the voices in your head. Are you constantly saying to yourself, you're running behind. You already did it wrong. You're, you started the day the wrong way. You got to go do these things. Do you keep lists of things that you still have to do that you kind of pester yourself with? Or do you have a space in your life where you can actually be vulnerable with yourself and be present with how you feel? Because it takes a lot of space, personal space, and a lot of like personal leeway, right? That, that you're affording yourself, that no one else is giving you. It takes that space to just 
understand what you want and understand what your desires are. So it's a, that sounds a little bit abstract, I realize, but sometimes if you start with something as small as just, I'm going to be less hard on myself this week. I'm going to wake up in the morning and I'm going to let myself decide how my day goes. I'm not going to have every minute of my day planned out in a structured way. I'm going to go with what I feel like doing, what I enjoy instead of what I should be doing, which even though that also sounds so basic, it's so hard. Oh, it's hard. That, that's the hardest thing in the world. It's important to give yourself enough respect that when you really, truly don't want to do something, you're going to listen to that voice in your head. Well, you were talking about that you feel like maybe this particular time that we're all in right now is is sort of a wonderful way to think about reinventing. Because I think a lot of times, or a lot of people right now are like, oh my goodness, what other time have we had where everything shut down? Like I could come out of this quarantine and I'm going to have done Pilates. I'm going to speak with an accent. I'm going to only wear, you know, teal. Like, you know, I think there's this pressure <laughs> on us that, you know, we think that we have this time that we could, if there was a big life thing we wanted to change, this is the time to do it. But at the same time, we're a tad overwhelmed because it just feels like everything so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're at number three, right? Our third tip for reinventing. I think number three, you have to ask yourself what you value. And you also have to use your imagination in order to take your values and take them and turn them into some kind of form where you can kind of feel connected to your values. We're all kind of given this opportunity right now to sort of use our imaginations and we have time to, to form a vision of what we might want to be. And, I, and it's funny that you say wearing all teal because sometimes it, when you're indulging your silliest fantasies about yourself, it does boil down to these strange visions. Daring to use your imagination, even though you might not might start with I'll wear teal every day and then land on something completely different, kind of allowing yourself the space to be absurd. To dream, to dream a little bigger. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. okay. I'm learning. If you do use your imagination and you are wanting to try something different, what happens when you get all this resistance, whether it's a friend, a family member, and they're like, oh, that's the worst idea you could ever have in your life. How do you deal with that? Well, that leads me to tip number four, Reba, actually. You're like the queen of segues today, I, Reba. I, I, well, I know. I think she's reading my mind. <laughs> Tip number four, which is face your fears. Face your fears of how people might react to the things you're doing. And also, what are the things that kept you from making this change in the past? And so it's almost like as long as you're in that state where you are uncertain about a decision, you'll hear other people telling you your worst fears about what the decision means. And you probably hear it louder than it actually is. Oh, because, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you read criticism into everything that anyone says. And then once you start feeling comfortable with the change, everyone seems to support it magically, uh -huh. right? Yeah. You try to address the fears maybe before you go out so you know sort of where you are going to land with other people or where, where, how you're going to feel. And you can prep yourself. Yeah. Well, that brings us to my fifth tip is that you have to brace yourself for not only the negative feedback from other people that you're going to get simply because you're changing, mm -hmm. but also you have to brace yourself for your own shame and embarrassment around 
just doing something new. Yeah. You know, a lot of us are taught that if we're really serving ourselves, that means we're selfish. And also, if you experience other people as selfish, if you see other women in particular and you say, why is she taking up so much space? Why is she showing off so much? I don't like the way she's doing that. If you find yourself making those kinds of sounds in your head, like those are the voices you're hearing, chances are you want something that the other person is just some dimension of what the other person is doing appeals to you. Now, you might not like exactly the way they're doing it. You might be saying to yourself, I don't want to do it that way. And that's legitimate. I mean, we all make our own choices. Sometimes you want to honor your show off self. Sometimes you want to honor your introverted self. When you say no to different obligations, whatever you feel like you want to be on any given day, you can be that. You can follow your own instincts, you know? I totally agree. Yeah. I find that the more I follow my instincts, the more generous and compassionate I become. Right. I don't think it's ever too late to reinvent yourself. But those are great tips, Heather. Thank you very much for joining us today on the podcast. I wrote down lots of stuff. Lots of stuff there. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was so nice talking to you. Nice to meet you guys. Thanks very much. Thanks, Heather. Bye. Bye. Well, we're going to continue our conversation about reinventing yourself with none other than Darius Rucker. So you make sure that you stick around. I'm excited to welcome our next guest, definitely no stranger to reinventing himself, Mr. Darius Rucker. Hey, Darius, how you doing? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Ah, oh, we're good. We're just thrilled to death that you joined us today. You've been staying busy during all this downtime? Yeah, you know, writing a lot. Did the social distance and got in the studio for a minute. And that was cool. Mm-hmm. So much writing. You know, the Zoom writing is a new thing. So that's what everybody's doing. So like four or five a week, so it's been fun. Wow. Did your daughter join you too? Were you guys making some music together? I had this song that I've loved forever and I wanted her to sing it. She doesn't walk around the house singing. Like I've heard her sing when she plays a guitar, ukulele on. I thought, okay, she can sing. And it was amazing because she came in and she started singing and she was great. And she got in the middle of the first chorus and I stopped the song. And she was like, what, dad, is that bad? I was like, babe, I did not know you were this great. I mean, I was just like, I did not know you could sing this great. It shocked me. That's sweet. And we had a blast. Good. Yeah, we had a blast doing that. Good, good, good. So we're talking about reinventing yourself. Yeah. You, oh, wow, how was that when you decided to come over into country music? Not only just come over, you were chart-topping. Everyone loved Hooting the Blowfish. So not only just to like enter country music, you were at the top of your game and then entering country music. What was your thought process? Take us through that. You know, I always tell people that Rodney Foster came up with a record in 1989 called uh, Del Rio, Texas, which just changed my world. I mean, I heard him sing and I said, I want to sing just like that dude. You know, I want to sing just like, I want to do that someday. Yeah. And I would say it to the band and we'd laugh and they, I'd always say I'm going to make a country record someday. And uh, we were touring all the time and we came in and one day we had a meeting and decided we weren't going to tour anymore. Honestly, when it was told to me, it was shocking. My first thought was, I guess I'm going to go make a country record now. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. I was going to do it. You know, I just, I just figured I was going to do it with my buddies in my basement studio. You know, I was like, that's what I'm going to do. Go play some clubs and have a good time playing country. And Doc McGee just happened to be my manager and just doesn't see things that way. You know, and, and they got me a record deal. I remember when he called me, he called me and goes, Darius, I got you a record deal. 
And I said to him, I was like, man, if it's with like Joe Schmo Records, I just want to make it myself. You know, I don't want some independent deal. And he said it's with Capital. And he put Mike Dungan on the phone and he said he was going to give me a record deal. I just couldn't believe I was getting a record deal. And so uh, when I got to make that first record, my only thought was, I hope I'm doing a good enough record. They let me make another one. Truly didn't expect any success. There's good Lord of living. That's why you are loved by everybody in country music all over the world, because you are so humble. You hoped you were going to get a record deal. Are you serious? <laughs> Reba, if I was a president of a record label, president of Curb Nashville 14 years ago. And my brother was Darius Rucker. And he came to me and said, hey, bro, give me a country record deal. I would have said, are you kidding me? <laughs> There's no way I'm giving the pop star black guy a country record deal. What, what, do, what am I going to do that for? <laughs> I wouldn't give me a record deal. So why would I, you know, so I was blessed. Good for Mike. I love him. He's a great guy. He was my angel. He, he was not going to take no for an answer. It was amazing how much work it was, but it was also amazing. Once it hit, it was just like, this is exactly what I'm supposed to be. Yeah. Well, good for us. Yes, great for us. Was it hard for you? Like, how did your fans react that loved you from Hooting the Blowfish when they heard, okay, he's going to go be a country artist. He's going to make a country record. There was a lot of doubt, a lot of, you know, there was a lot of, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of people going, I'll I'll listen to whatever you sing, you know, those people. But a lot of people like, you know, what are you doing that for? I mean, this was 14 years ago. And people like, why? And I was like, because I love country music. I mean, it's a no-brainer. Have you listened to Hootie Records? I mean, (laughs) for me, it was something I was going to do no matter what anybody said. And especially once Mike got involved and Capitol got involved. I mean, it was all, I'm going all out and whatever happens, happens. Besides Mike, did everybody in Nashville make you feel welcome? Oh, absolutely. I thought so. Mike likes to tell me a funny story. He said the day after he decided to sign me, he went and he called the 13 people that he thought were like tastemakers. I'm going to call these people and I'm going to tell them I'm signing Darius Rucker. He said, 12 of them said, never going to (laughs) work. No kidding. (laughs) Yeah, that's I love that story. The one guy ended up producing my records. No kidding. Yeah. Way to go. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty dang neat. That's pretty funny. So besides Mike and Brad, like who are your biggest supporters in Nashville when you first got here? You know, this is not going to surprise anybody. Vince Gill. Vince had sung on my record early. He came and sung early and listened to some tracks. And I'd go to bars and I'd see artists and they'd walk up and say, man, I saw Vince last week. He just told me how great your record is. That was just huge for me. Vince Gill was telling people around town that I had a great record coming out. That was huge. Yeah, that's no surprise. Vince Gill is one of the biggest hearted people I know in my life. I got to do the Opry with him and it was just him and me and three of my musicians on stage. And he just always makes you feel so warm and cuddly and feel good. Just comfortable when you're around Vince. So I know that's not surprising. You go to the opera to play and Vince is just hanging out. I just think that's always cool. And that's, you know, I love that guy. Yeah. When did you know that it was a success? When did you know you'd made it as a country artist? When did it feel real? When Brad Paisley asked me to be a member of the Grand Ole Opry. Wow. Didn't he ask you first? Didn't he say something like, is it true that you're still a really bad poker player? Yeah, we toured together a couple of times. We played a lot of poker. And I said, Brad, what is my tell? He says, when you sit down, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm awful. <laughs> Was there more pressure to even just entering a genre that didn't have a ton of representation with black artists? The funny thing is, I guess this is my naivety or just the way I am. I didn't even think about that. Love it. First time I thought about it was when 
my first single got into top 25 and somebody came up to me and said, you know, you're the first African-American since Charlie Pride to have a record in the top 25. It's been 25 years. I was like, you know, I thought about Trini Triggs or, and all these other folks, and Cowboy Troy, all these other folks that mm-hmm. I've known about. I thought that I had a top 25. And they were like, you're the, and I was like, wow, they never even thought about it. And then that's when people started talking about it. I was like, okay, so let's have more. <laughs> Perfect. You want to give a shout out to any more black artists in country that you love or you're listening to that maybe we don't know about yet? People are happening right now. You know, I love Jimmy Allen. Is, oh, Jimmy's great. You just recorded with him too, right? Yeah, I'm on his record. And we wrote a song that's going to be on my new record. That guy is so talented. You know, he's he's going to be a star. And Kane Brown's about to, he's about to play stadium soon. You know, <laughs> when I had my first few hits, somebody asked me, do I think I changed anything in country music? I said, if one kid that's got his face on a CD can get a listen instead of just being thrown away, then I've done something good. Yeah. Perfect. So, you know, these other kids is getting record deals and stuff like now. I, I just love it. I love it. Good deal. You did make an impact. Yeah. I really think that that's true. And thinking about any young person, we they want to see themselves doing something that they love. And that's an important thing to see. That was one of the greatest things that happened to me was when I started playing bigger shows and everything and getting DMs or messages from fans and, you know, having, having African-Americans say, I've loved country music my whole life. And it feels great to have somebody who looks like me. Now I can tell everybody I love it. I was like, oh, that's awesome. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. They still come a lot and I love it. It's awesome. So in the past, what, what else did you do early on in your life to reinvent yourself? The biggest reinvention I, that I, I can really think of was going from high school to college. That was such a big turn. Like I went from this small high school where, you know, I was, you know, one of the one of the cool kids and, you know, we knew everybody. <laughs> everybody knew you and you hung out. And then I went to this college with 35,000 people, you know, and I'm, I'm a hermit. I got a 385 my first semester because I didn't do anything else. Second semester, I discovered my boys and got a 2-8. But hey, who's counting? <laughs> <laughs> but, but college that was, I, I really had to change I had to reinvent myself now that first big change from home yeah did you go to the same school first through 12 we didn't go to the same school but you went to school with the same people yeah me too you never had that summer where you were going to go to a new school with new kids and you thought okay this is my time this is it. Yeah. I can totally change my hair. I'm going to start wearing different whole look. I can eat. Melissa, this is your year. You can completely change yourself. You can't do that when every year it's the same kids because they're like, mm, Melissa, you, you're yeah. not a beat. You're not a beat poet. You know, you know, let's take off the black turtleneck and trying to be cool. Like we already know that you collect, you know, cabbage patch kids. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I remember th- wanting that dream. Darius, you can't be goth. We know you listen to Barry Manilow every Thursday. Stop it. (laughs) (laughs) So what advice would you have for young artists that are wanting to reinvent themselves if they want to try something new? What would you say to them? If it's really who you are, do it. Like, that's really, that's the thing is you can reinvent yourself, but a a really great reinvention, like Madonna, when Madonna reinvents herself, she's just bringing out another part of who she is. Like me coming to country music wasn't me. I'm just bringing, singing, bringing out another part of who I am. And I think a lot of times when pop artists come over to to country, that's what that's what their down, downfall is. It's not authentic. You're doing it to have it. You're not doing it because you love the music. You're doing it because you know somebody else did it, or you think you could have a hit, and you, you don't believe it. You know, I think I always say to people that one of the reasons I think a lot of guys in country radio really liked me is they, they all ask the same question when you go. So who's your favorite artist? You know, and, and guys, you know, Dolly and Kenny and you love them, but I, I would always say Randy Foster. 
Uh-huh. You know, the guys who really knew would go, how do you know who Randy Foster was? No, I live for Randy Foster. <laughs> you know, but if you're going to reinvent yourself, make sure it's part of who you are, because if it's not, I mean, I think people see right through it. They see right through it instantly. And they're like, that's not real. And, you know, you might have a moment where they're like, oh, that's good, but it's not real. Okay. So Melissa asked me this earlier and I want to know your answer. What act are you in in your life? Act one, act two. And what does your next act look like? I think I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle of act three, hmm. act four. Looks like it'll be a lot of fun. <laughs> it'll be a lot of fun. Some more music. I'm never going to retire. I'm never going to stop singing. You know, not, it's going to be more music. And then act five looks like a lot of days in Branson. And I'm fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> You've done rock, you've done R&B, you've done country. You've even done some acting. Is there another chapter, another reinvention? This is something I want to do because I love it. I'm huge in the Sinatra. I got this dream that I want to get out Peter Graves and Questlove and Branford Marcellus and find a room in Vegas and like rent the name of Sands and just do a residency and record it and call it Darius Rucker Live at the Sands. Sinatra Live at the Sands is the greatest Sinatra album ever. Greatest record of all time. That's one of my of top all time. One of my top five records of all time. Fly me to the moon, let me swing among the stars. I love that song. <laughs> okay, this has got to happen. Oh, absolutely. This would make all of COVID worth it if I knew that when we got out of here, I got to go to Vegas and I got to see Darius live at the Sands. Um, do you ever listen to when Questlove does his live like DJ sets on yes. Instagram? Yes, I'm such a big fan of that guy. I'm such a huge fan of Questlove. He's a, he's a great dude. I like him a lot. This talent's over the top. He's crazy, crazy good. I do love him. Melissa, we've got some really big news, and you're going to don't scream too loud. Okay. But we have just found out that Darius and I are going to host the CMA Awards this fall. What? <laughs> I'm trying not to scream very loud. That's amazing. I love that. It's the perfect pairing. We're so excited. How long have you known and not told me? Uh, well, uh, I, they just told me. They just walked in this room and handed it to me. I, or I would have told you first. I just got a text just now. Yeah, really? So, yeah, I mean, you know, host with Reba, I can't, but first of all, I'm hosting it all. I mean, I remember this so vividly. I was, I was at my very first CMAs that I was nominated. And uh, I'm sitting there and I'm just looking around and, you know, I'm thinking about, man, this is actually going good. I said, man, I'm going to host this show someday. Laughed it off, you know, joking. Listen, I'm not going to host this CMAs, you know, man. I'm 41 at the time. <laughs> I'm almost 60. <laughs> and, uh, it was such a, it was just a, something I said in a dream. And when Clarence called me, Clarence calls me and says, you know, hey, man, is anybody around you? And, and I thought, oh, my God, what did I do? <laughs> That's really what I thought. What, what, what's about to happen? What did I do? And then he said, would you like to host the CMAs? I, I couldn't. I started crying. I couldn't believe it. Aw, I love that. I think you guys are going to be great. Are you excited, Reba? Oh, heck yeah, I'm excited. And we're going to have a blast. I don't know how many years I've gotten to do the uh, CMAs. And Darius, one time, Vince and I co-hosted the CMAs. We had a blast. And, and he came out in a gold sequined jacket. He said, I'm not going to let Reba outdo me on the clothes changes. So, buddy, <laughs> <laughs> the bar is high. I'm just telling you. <laughs> yes, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it's going to be. I, I'm, I'm matching you. I'm, every time you change, I'm changing. <laughs> 
<laughs> that would be a blast. Do you guys know who's performing? I mean, do we know what even how it's going to happen this year? We are absolutely positive that Darius will be performing and I will be performing. Other than that, it's a tight lip secret. Thanks for the big scoop. Okay, this is very exciting. Heck yeah. You and I have gotten to do concerts together and now we're going to get to do this together. What a blast. And it's another reinvention. It's going from, like you said, like you're now a host. It's a whole new job title for you. Yes. Are we going to do the game? All right, here we go with the game. We're going to play a game called Songs You Wish You Wrote. Ooh. I can tell by your silent reaction that you guys are in it, ready Uh to play. That's excitement, right? That was silent excitement about it? Okay, so here we go. This is a game where I'm going to think about the songs that you both love so very much that when you first heard them on the radio or when you hear them on the radio today, you wish, damn, I wish I wrote that. Reba, we will start with you. What song do you wish you wrote? Fancy. Good one. Darius? Wagon Wheel. Wagon Wheel. (laughs) I wish I'd written that, yes. Okay, Reba. I will always love you. Dolly Parton. Yes. Cha-ching. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, that's a good one. Why me, Lord? Chris Christopherson. I like that. Love it. Love it. Reba? He stopped loving her today. George Jones. Oh, old Silver by uh, Rodney Foster. Maybe the perfect country song. I love that. Reba? Bobby McGee. Oh. oh, my God. This is like, by the way, we are just creating right now the perfect playlist for everyone listening right now is you two saying the songs you wish you wrote. This is like the perfect playlist. All right, Darius, you're up. Song you wish you wrote. It's so funny that for the good times, Chris Christopherson. Oh, my gosh. God, I wish I had written that song. Woo. Yeah. Jolene. Oh, uh, I wish it would rain by Nancy Griffiths. Mm. Okay, Ronnie Millsap, like a button off of my shirt, and someday I will replace you. Now, yeah, this is the game changer right now. Now you have to sing a line of the song <laughs> that you wish you wrote because I'm speaking for America and we all want to hear this. So now we're playing songs you wish you wrote. You gotta sing a, you bet you got to sing a line of it. Yeah. All right, Darius, you're up. She felt something about going home. She felt something about needing to spend some time alone. La love it. She's already made up her mind. Aw, Reba, you're up. Feeling better now that we're through. Feeling better now I'm over you. Lynn Ronstadt, you're no good. I said, Grandpa, what's this picture here? It's all black and white. Ain't real clear that you there. Said, yeah, I was 11. In color, Jamie Johnson. Dang. This is the best game that's ever been invented. <laughs> ever. I keep going on forever, but you all don't have to go on forever. That is fun to play. That's neat. Well, Darius, thanks for everything you do for us, country music. And I look forward to uh, getting to host the CMA Awards with you. We're going to have a blast. And thanks for being on the show today, Melissa, and I really appreciate that. Hope you had a good time. I had a blast. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, anytime. This was fun. All right. Bye, Darius. Good to see you. Thank you, guys. (laughs) What a great show today. Thanks to our amazing guest, Heather Haverleski and Darius Rucker. Wow. Heather gave us a lot to think about in terms of the big picture of reinventing yourself and mainly how important it is to first know what you're missing in your life before you figure out who you want to be. And there's no use you know, going to all the work of trying to reinvent yourself if you don't know why you're doing it. Or what are you going for? That was a good point. Yeah. I also like, she said, you know, don't overdo it. Don't go overboard. 
It's like, I like the idea of starting small. And also she said, think of the worst case scenario if you take a leap. I try to do that in everything. If I am going to make a decision of doing something, how is that going to affect my life in a month, in a year? Yeah. I'm so thrilled that Darius came by and talked to us about our subject today. He's the definition of reinventing yourself. I mean, there's not a lot of people that could so, you know, gracefully switch genres like that. I mean, he completely went from pop rock, I guess is what you call it, hooting the blowfish to like one of the, you know, he's the number one country artist. And that was a brave move. Oh, sure. And that's what makes it so special coming from Darius. It's all from the heart. If he just like, ah, what am I going to do today? I think I'll jump over into country. He loves country music, always has. So that's what's so neat about the fans, what we talked about. They know when it's fake. And he is definitely not faking it. You know, all in all, I think we really learned a lot. I, I know I did. Did you? Oh, absolutely. And I can relate to what each of them said. So I hope our listeners do, too. So. Y'all, thanks very much for being with us today on the subject of reinventing yourself. Get out there and give it a try if you want to. And that's Melissa Peterman and Reba McIntyre wrapping it up on a segment of Living and Learning. Bye-bye. Living and Learning with Reba McIntyre is a Spotify original podcast. Hosted and produced by me, Reba McIntyre, and my dear friend, Melissa Peterman. Our executive producers are Liz Gately, Yossi Salek, Gina Delvac, Danny Traybatch, and Justin McIntosh. Also produced by Dylan Rupert. Michael Hardman is our editor. Original music is composed by Doug Sizemore. Special thanks to Cultivated Entertainment, Leah Edwards, Alec Nelson, Robert Adler, and Casey Simonson for production support. <laughs>